Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me today. I'm sure glad you're able to tune in. And been lo- I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite, quite some time. And uh, Ty does some awesome work with mules all over the States and, and other parts of the world. And, and of course, mules are a little bit different. We're going to dig into that a little bit today and, and sort of hear a little bit of, of where his expertise lies. But, you know, I was just visiting a second ago and was remembering a time we'd almost bumped into one another in Montana. And here a couple of years ago, I had some uh, clients that I was traveling with over there and they'd gone to a clinic of his and, and we just happened to just narrowly miss uh, crossing paths. And then he reminded me that we'd actually had bumped into one another at, uh, at the Buckaroo gathering near Salt Lake City a few years before that. And I, I had not put two and two together on that. So Turns out we have met face-to-face, but uh, it sure is good, Ty, to have you on here today, and I really appreciate your your time and, and taking the time to do this. I really look forward to hearing more about your story and, and your adventures. So um, maybe tell a little bit, tell, tell folks a little bit about what you're doing and what, what you do, and then let's jump into your background and, and sort of how it all got started for you. Yeah. Hey, Ben. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on here. Like I said earlier, I it's a pleasure. I enjoy your podcast and and, uh, you know, your videos you put up on Instagram and everything you do. So thanks. It's an honor. Uh, you've had quite the lineup of guests so far. You know, you've had Warwick on and Jane and, and Colton. A few, I mean, some awesome people. And so anyways, I feel, feel honored to, to be among that list. So For sure. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. I'm, so I'm from Utah, um, the central part of Utah. Uh, not far from where you grew up, actually. It's only about four hours, five hours from where you grew up. Yeah. Out there on the western slopes there. So. A little town called Fountain Green. It's just a little town. And uh, anyways, everybody else around here, they have quarter horses and black Angus cattle. And I got <laughs> I got mules and mini cattle. <laughs> so I'm I'm the odd duck out here for sure. But uh, you know, uh, I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful woman. Her name is Sky. Uh, she says she only married me because our names rhyme, Ty and Sky. But uh, <laughs> Anyways, she's, she's great. She's the backbone of, of everything we do. I got two cute little, little girls, um, Ellie, she's an eight, she's eight years old and Swayze, she's six. And, and, uh, anyways, we go together everywhere. We go to clinics together and, and that's what I do, uh, full time is, is teach and teach and preach about meals, I suppose. And, you know, just try to do, you know, the best as I can to help people and, and whatnot. Uh, but we travel all over the States, you know, about nine months a year, we're on the road. Um, I get down to your hemisphere now and again, down to Australia, <laughs> just to, you know, and, uh, go to Canada a bit too, when they, when they want to let me in, that is. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyways. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, in 20, 2020, I was supposed to go a few other places, but that kind of got kicked in the butt, but uh, yeah, I hear you there. We were, yeah. We were lined up to have a few clinics uh, in the states, and then we were planning on ducking over to England and Spain for a few more, and and just to sort of 
travel and, and see a bit of the history over there as well at the, at the same time. And that sort of all got put on the back burner. Yeah. Well, it'll open up. It'll be good soon. And yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, we just, I, I enjoy, you know, my main thing is, is, is making bridal meals. That's what I'm into. And, and, uh, for a lot of your listeners, it's the equivalent of bridal horses, just longer ears. Uh, so you bet. anyways, you know, make bridal meals and you know, I, I enjoy packing, uh, enjoy, uh, I do a lot of day work around here. You know, where I'm at, there's not a lot of big ranches right here in central part of Utah. And you're familiar with Utah, you know, growing up not far from here, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, ranchers that, you know, they got, you know, 100, 200 head of cows. And, you know, so I get the opportunity to day work when I'm home. Uh, I got a few friends around here. They keep pretty close tabs. They know when I'm home and they, they put me to work uh, just 10 minutes before we had this. And my buddy was just calling me and says, Hey, we got cows out up on the mountain. And I know you, you know, you got Saturday off. You're going to go get them for me. <laughs> so anyways, we, you know, I, I enjoy that. And uh, of course, you know, I live right here in the middle of the Rocky mountains. And so trail riding is, is of course my kind of what I've done my whole life. And and my clientele is mostly trail riders, you know, that's what they're into and kind of that's what we specialize in. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So did you grow up around horses or mules or, or um, you know, what was your, what was your background there? How did that all kind of get started? Yeah. Yeah. I was blessed. I grew up with horses and mules, you know, when you get a little bit into the mule world, you get these biases, right? They say, you know, everybody wants to know, well, you know, what's so great about mules or what's so great about horses. And I say, you know what? I grew up with horses and mules. I love them all. We even had a few donkeys too growing up. And my dad dabbled in the the whole Jack business, which was interesting. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, my dad started a cult for a living. Okay. So, so, uh, uh, growing up, he, he always had, oh shoot. He always had a, a backyard full of horses and mules. Um, he'd, he'd ride anywhere from, from five a month to sometimes there was 20 head out there. You know, I don't know how he did it and how he had time to do it, but because he's always been in the heavy equipment business too, he sold heavy equipment, you know, skids, gears, you know, excavators, things like that, but yeah. always rode colts. That was a big part of the business, you know, for, for making a living anyway. So I grew up doing that and, uh, I started, I call it working. I was more like a test dummy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at about eight years old, I started to help my dad and I helped him regularly. I get home from school. I couldn't, I mean, I sat in school all day looking out the window. I couldn't wait to get out there, get home and ride colts with my dad. And, and looking back now, I mean, I'm just lucky I survived. I had more broken bones before high school than I think most kids should. It, nowadays, it'd probably be child abuse, but yeah, yeah. anyways, you know, and, and my old man, uh, well, we just say, I do things very different nowadays than, than, than we did back then. And, you know, it wasn't that things were just rough. It was, I think it was just lack of education on, on, uh, you know, what my dad understood and what, uh, what I understand, you know, whatnot, but, uh, nonetheless, I learned a lot. So, you know, I helped my dad, uh, when I was about 13 or 14, uh, right in there, my dad, my dad got dumped off pretty bad and messed up his hip, broke his back. And, um, you know, because of that, I had to step it up. I had to step it up as a man, take over, help him out. So pretty much he quit riding Colts for, for a little while. And I just helped out and rode Colts for him. Did basically he's on the side, telling me what to do every moment of the game. And I just tried to execute it with precision, you know, and, uh, 
when I was about 16, my dad, he comes to me and I can't use the exact words he said because my dad was a little tough, but he says, Hey, you can go be a, you can go be a punk kid like the rest of your pals if you want, or you can take it over. And I, and I said, wait a minute, you mean I can, I can get paid to do this. He says, you can have it all. And up to that point, I mean, I hadn't made a penny, right. Just help my dad helping the family really. Yeah. He says, yeah, it's all yours. Just as quick as clients learn that a 16-year-old kid is riding cults, you know, and instead of my dad being the head trainer, right? I mean, mm-hmm. clientele pretty well faded away. And I had, you know, it was one or two a month, but yeah, heck, as a high school kid, you know, you ride one or two cults a month. And I think back then I made like 200 a month, but I thought I was rich. Well, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I thought I was doing dang good as a 16-year-old kid, you know, making some money like that. And anyways, it kind of blossomed from there, you know, and up to the point of, you know, when I was working for my dad, my dad was there a lot. I mean, it was my dad's way or, or the highway, but yeah. as soon as I, he kind of let me go, well, then I started to explore a little bit. You know, I had a little freedom to experiment with, you know, well, Hey, I, I heard somebody did this with this horse or, or this with this mule and you start playing around, you know, and, uh, did you ever know Brad Cameron? Know the name. He's a great, he's a great mule man. He's retired. Yeah. He made bridal mules and, uh, you know, uh, a great man, but my friend give me some of his tapes, you know, back on VHS days. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, man, I, I wore those VHS tapes out. I watched every one of them over and over again. I could probably quote them to you like a, like John Wayne of the Cowboys, you know, I can, <laughs> so, I mean, I just watched it so many times. Right. And, and uh, so, and I went to a clinic or two of his and, I remember I went to a cult starting clinic in Alpine, Utah. Yeah. And, you know, cult starting for me up to that point was if I started 10 cults, nine of them were going to probably buck. <laughs> you yeah, know, everything, yeah. everything was a bronc ride. And, <laughs> and I thought, man, I hope I just survived to live to be 20. You know, just, <laughs> life is rough. And I went to his clinic and he had like a dozen cults out there. These are mule cults. Yeah. And I'm watching them and they're all these people are on the ground doing these circles and trying to move their butt and move their shoulders. And I, I mean, I don't know what's going on. They're just moving them around. I don't get it. Yeah. And they call it, they're calling it groundwork, whatever that means. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, up to, if I'm being honest, up to that point, I was probably judging. I was probably making fun of it. Yeah. And until they got on and then they got on and not one of them. But I mean, they had some scoots and they were scared. I mean, you know, cult stuff, uh, you know, stuff you can understand, but I mean, I'm used to bronc rides, right. And not a thing. And I thought I got to give me some of this because that will increase my lifespan. (laughs) (laughs) Practical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is going to make me live longer. So I was hooked and, you know, I started kind of studying Brad a little bit. And, and I found out he, he was a student of Buck Branneman and Tom Dorrance, you know, and I said, who are these guys? Right. I mean, and your audience listened to me like, how do you not know who that is? Right. Yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know the kid. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. And uh, who are these guys? And I, you know, started looking at Buck and of course, Buck traveled everywhere, but Utah, he, he doesn't come to Utah much. And I go, oh, man, I can't afford to go to one of his clinics. I saved up some money and I drove over to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, yep. not far from, you know, the country. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't afford to ride, but I could, I could go be an auditor. 
Yeah. And I went and watched and man, I was on the fence the whole time. And, and I was so impressed by the horsemanship, you know, I'd never seen, I'd never seen that good a horsemanship. And I thought, man, I got to give me more of this. This is great. And I just, you know, from, from then, you know, I never got to ride with, uh, you know, Ray Hunt or Tom Dorrance. They're, they're a little bit before my time. Um, you know, I would have been a, a child or at least a young man at that point, you know, when they were still going. Um, but I, you know, got every video, every home video I could find of these guys and every book that they wrote, every note that they, that was out there. And I, you know, and I just started studying it and, you know, uh, I, Tom Dorrance is one fell I wish I could have met because oh, he yeah. sounds like just an incredible human being, you know, not, not you know, he's a horseman for sure but an incredible human being. And I thought, man, I want to be like that guy. You know, there's nobody said anything wrong about that guy. So, you know, it's an amazing thing. I I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I was just a kid out in the middle of nowhere and I hadn't, you know, kind of put my head up to realize what was going on in the horse world. And, and I didn't get a chance to meet Ray and Tom, but I tell you, I got to work on a big ranch in Northern California and start some of their colts here a couple of three years ago while we were up there for the, for our operation mudless winter. And, um, the rancher there, Mr. Flournoy, he's, he's in his seventies and, um, he was a good friend of Tom's and used to drive Tom around a lot to his different clinics and different dates, you know, doing stuff at different people's places. And, and Tom would visit his place out there. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, just hearing the firsthand stories of, not just horse stuff, which is awesome enough, but just everyday life with Tom and the way he thought out of the box, the way he approached life, the way he thought it just, yeah, yeah. I'm right there mm -hmm. with you. Like what a, what an amazing human being, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, everybody that I've met or talked to that, that knew him just speaks so highly of him, you know, um, and talk about a little bit of pressure. I was, I show up out there to uh, Ferguson, North Carolina to do a clinic. Okay. And, uh, and I'm, I'm talking to these fellas and, and they're, and they tell me, you know, the last clinic we went to was Tom Dorrance. And he's out here. I'm like, wait, you've been to Tom Dorrance clinic. He's like, they're like, yeah, that's the last time we went to a clinic. I'm like, Oh geez. You're like, you know, the, the pressure's on, right. I mean, how do you, how do you hold up to that? Right. And, yeah. uh, uh, I said, well, how do you like you bringing your mules to the clinic? And he said, they said, Oh, he, he loved mules. He really enjoyed the mules. And, and uh, in fact, one of my favorite quotes about mules is from Tom Dorrance. And he says, you have to treat the mule the way you should treat the horse. And I thought that's brilliant. And that's the first time I had heard that quote was from them fellas until I, I believe it's in true unity. He also wrote it about it a little in there. Yeah. And uh, you know, I thought that's pretty neat. It pretty is. Neat. And, it, and it's so true too. You know, these mules, uh, you know, for some people they can be really challenging for, for me, it's just life. You know, I don't do anything different with, with the horses than I do with the mules. I mean, it's, it's exactly the same. Um, but for a lot of people, the mules are so foreign to them, you know, and something about them long ears throws them off a little bit, you know? Yeah. 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 Of course there's a million myths about mules, you know? Uh, so it's kind of fun to hear some of them now and again, see yeah. if people pull out of their hats. It is. Yeah. It's, it's funny when it, when something's a little different or a little foreign like that. And that's the exact quote that I use to help people understand mules a bit better is, is that quote of Tom's. Um, but you're absolutely right. If, if then we are treating the mule, like we ought to treat the horse, then 
it is all the same. You know, you don't do much anything different between the two of them because you're treating the horse like you treat the mule anyway. Exactly. You know, I catch a little slack about that, you know, when I'm traveling around the States because there's so many of these, these dumb myths about mules and, you know, uh, we get a few horses in, in our clinics. Like in a year I'll have, in a year's time, I'll have maybe four or 500 mules come through and I'll maybe have a hundred horses at most, you know, but when people show up and I, and I get a few donkeys too, maybe 20 or 30 donkeys come to the clinics, but I, I always joke. I don't segregate. I don't say, okay, long ears here, medium ears here, short ears here. <laughs> no, it, it's all, it's all the same. I give yeah. the same instructions, the same exact instructions of what I expect and what I'd like them to do. And uh, some people are just blown away by that because they've been told by experts that, you know, meals are so different. You, you got to treat them different, you, you know, and uh, you better show them who's boss right off or else they'll show you, <laughs> you know, just, just weird things, you know, you hear. And yeah. uh, one of my favorite myths, I just, I just love it. And uh, is, is, you know, meals will hold a grudge. I'll never forget. And they'll wait 10 years to kick you. And I just think, and, and you know, you know, Steve Peters, uh, Dr. Steve Peters, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, he just kicked that myth right in the butt. You know, they don't, they're not even, I try to tell people they're not even, they're literally not capable of holding that grudge of, of that, that forethought, that planning yeah. to, yeah. to do that. They're, they're literally not capable. And they go, oh, I've heard that. I'm like, All right. Well, you believe what you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't convince some people, even if you got science, uh, yeah. you know, there's, and there is, I mean, you gotta be honest. Sometimes you, ha- you take a look at a mule's eye, you know, and you're just like, I'm pretty sure there's a grudge in there somewhere, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. they're, they're just so smart. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's really where I think they get over the top of a lot of people is they're just so dang smart. They are, they're keen. They're really keen, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll wait 10 years to get you. And I say, what did you do to deserve them waiting 10 years to get you? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good question. Exactly. What, what did you, what do you do? What did you do to deserve this grudge that they're holding against you? Because that's the real thing we got to work on right there. It's not the meal. It's, it's you, you know? And, uh, but yeah, they're, they're keen, you know, they really are, uh, they're such analyzers, you know, you get this, they're hybrids, right? They're, they're a cross between uh, a, a donkey, a male donkey, which is called Jack and a female horse, a mare. And you get this hybrid and um, they could take from the, they might get some, some from the Jack and some from the mare, these different attributes and traits. And, you know, there's a lot of mules that are very much horse-like a lot of mules that are very much donkey-like and then you get some that are, are just their mule on their own and everything in between, you know. Um, but the donkey side of things really analyzes, you know. Yeah. Uh, they, they want to know why. They want a legitimate why, you know. And you can't just say, well, because I said so, like you tell your kids. Right. <laughs> Doesn't, or, like, no. or like a lot of people do with horses, you know. You can just yeah. kind of make stuff happen a lot. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately with the horses and you know, this better than anybody, unfortunately you can make them do stuff. And it's, it's a sad deal. And, I, and you know, but w- when it comes to the donkey side of things, you ain't making a donkey do a darn thing. You, you ain't going to get it done. You know uh, I mean, aside from physically picking them up and putting them somewhere, you ain't going to make them do it. 
And so sometimes you get this, you know, you get this mule that really analyzes and says, why? And I use the example, I say, okay, it's not like a, you know, a snotty teenager, why? You know, a teenage kid saying, why? It's no, a legitimate, why should I do that? What is in it for me? You know, and, and a good horsemanship, you know, there should always be something in it for the horse, for the mule, for the donkey, you know, and, and, the, and they really want to know, well, what's in it for me? You know, and um, you got to be quick on those releases. You got to be quick on those rewards and they got to be, uh, you know, I tell, I tell folks that come to the clinics, okay, probably one of the best lessons you can learn here is ask small, reward big, you know, small questions big rewards and you better be quick to reward them. You know, I'm doing a clinic here right now at my place. Um, got a couple of guys here working and, you know, one fellow here, he's working and, and, and he, he, he's asking a lot of his mules, but he's, he's a little on the slow side to, to say good job. And because of that, the mule is, is a little delayed. And he's like, well, is the mule just dull and slow? And I said, no, he just doesn't see, he's not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, he needs to know there's something in it for him. And if you just be quicker on your releases, well, he'd, he'd be working for you quicker. Exactly. You know, if we, if we want him punctual on, uh, you know, answering our questions, we got to be punctual on rewarding the questions, I think. Yeah. And that's a really good way to put it. I think um, a lot of the same thing with horses, you know, that they, they can be made to do things. But of course, like Tom said, the best way is that if we can give them a reason and help them understand and, and know that there's something in it for them, that they, that we have their best interest in mind, that there's light at the mm-hmm. end of the tunnel, that these things are all going to make sense and, and come together with a bit of purpose, hopefully sooner rather than later. And yeah, that's absolutely right. What, uh, so, so you, you, you're a young man, you're getting your dad's kind of handed over that aspect of the business to you and you're getting in mules, you're getting in horses. What sort of made you take that path more so to focus more on mules? What I, I know you kind of met up with Brad there, you mentioned and, and uh, made that your study, but kind of take us through a bit of that early part of that journey. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I've been asked that a few times and I'm not really sure of the exact answer of why I went to just mules. You know, I really enjoyed the mules, but I, I love horses too. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people think that you have to have a bias. And I say, I don't, I, I mean, I'd be just as happy if I had a pen full of horses out there as I do mules, you know? Uh, but it seems like the mules kind of fell in my lap. They really did. You know, um, you know, like I said, I was blessed to take over my dad's training operation, even though the clientele faded away pretty quick when they figured out it was just me and not dad, you know, uh, but, but then I just built, you know, which was good because it, it was good because I could build my own. I, I didn't need to ride on my dad's coattails. That's so right. it was good. And it was going to be a different kind of a thing anyway, ultimately, wasn't it? You bet. You bet it was. And so, you know, dad's coattails kind of went away anyways. And, and then I get going and, and I, I simply just got more calls about starting mule cults, you know, than problem mules or so they said, and, you know, uh, and it kind of went that way and it, and it kind of went to a 10 to one deal. You know, I'd have 10 mule cults and I'd ride one horse colt and, and pretty soon I was getting less and less and less horses and more mules. And then pretty soon the horse colts I would get would be somebody's, you know, uh, horse that they had, but they got, you know, five mules in the backyard and then, and then a horse, you know, and that's kind of was the deal. And so it just faded that way. And, and, uh, uh, so I, I, I don't think there was ever a distinct time where I said, 
I'm going to ride mules right. and, and not horses because horses have always been welcome. And I say it, it takes a good horse to, to make a good mule. You know, I think that mare has, is a tremendous part in making a good mule. It, you know, I, I, in the mule world, there's a lot of folks that uh, don't really appreciate, you know, bloodlines and, and I'm not big. I mean, I'll, I'll ride whatever, but, but, uh, you know, a good horse makes a good, good meal. So anyways, back to your question. Um, you know, as we, as I faded through there, you know, more mules, less horses. Um, I was just riding a, a lot of animals for the public, you know, got married and, um, you know, yeah, I'd have just a barn full of mules and a few horses here and there and a donkey on occasion. And, uh, few other odds and ends, you know, got a zebra one time. That was interesting. People thought, well, he's a mule trainer. He can get along with the zebra. I, I didn't get along with the zebra. <laughs> the zebra taught me how to live my life. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, interesting. yeah. So that was learning for, that was learning for sure. But, you know, we just, yeah, started training a lot of cults and it got really busy toward the beginning of my marriage, you know, and, and, uh, over a period of time kind of faded to where I realized that, okay, I would ride these colts, and, and I, and I was, it was all about the mule at that point or all about the horse at that point. And I, I remember one, one time a, a guy came to pick up his colt and I put 90 days on this, which, you know, you know, you know, the tradition here in the Mountain West 30 day colt starts. So 90 days is a little bit of a rarity. Right. You got 90 days. That's all right. I get a little time to work on something. And, and I thought it was a treat to have two extra months to do something. Right. And, and, and I, I thought I'd done a really good job on this, this mule. And I got on it. He came over to watch me finish it up. And, uh, you know, I, I got, I showed him everything I'd been doing, it demonstrated all the moves to him. And I said, okay, I'd like you to ride it because I mean, I'm pretty proud of this cold. And it's, it was a good cold. It really was. And he got on it. And he was having all kinds of issues with it. And I'm looking at my wife's guy and we're like, what's his problem? You know, like, you know, but, but I'm not really focused at that point on a rider at all. I'm not looking at him a whole lot. I'm looking at the mule. And when you're not kind of judging the human on top, you're looking at the mule and just the results of it. It wasn't looking good. Yeah. I was embarrassed. Yeah. And I said, hold up, let me get on. And I got back and I said, see, watch. And the mule was great for me, right? And I said, oh, I hand it back over to him. And he's having a hard time. And my wife, she's much more observant than me. She says, well, look how he's riding. And, uh, you know, he was just, I remember one thing. He was really abrupt with his hands. And uh, I joke in my clinics. I say, no, you guys don't be a jerk. <laughs> don't be a jerk. You know, nobody likes a jerk, right? Don't jerk on him, you know? And, and this guy would just, he would just pull on him. Just and, and kind of the ambush jerk of the rain. And that mule, you know, if you've seen many mules, you know, they are very sensitive. They are really sensitive. I think they're more sensitive than a lot of horses are to, to pain of any kind. And so this mule's head just flies straight up, you know, every time. And, I, and so that's what I'm seeing. I, it kind of clicked on, oh my gosh, I got to show this guy, you know, and I wasn't uh, any kind of teacher at that point. I mean, right, I didn't know right. how to explain things. I didn't know how to talk to, I mean, I was the, the typical introvert trainer at that point, you know, that you see out here and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all about like, I, I ain't going to tell him how to live his life. You know, exactly. anyways, I did. And, um, and then I started realizing that, Hey, you know what? I could ride these Colts and I could do a great job on them, but it doesn't matter if I don't teach them 
to get along or, or show them what I'm doing. And I realized, oh my gosh, I've been riding Colts for 15 years and I haven't told a single person, you know, what I do with my seat, my leg, my reins. I, had, I didn't tell me anything. What am I doing? And it hit me, you know? Wow. And so I started with, when they'd hire me to train something, I'd start, okay, we're going to do a little lesson. You know, I didn't know it was a clinic then, but we're going to do a little lesson here uh, at the end of the session, you know, the training so I can show you what I've done and you can learn how to operate the way I've been operating this thing. Next thing I know, I'm doing these one-on-one lessons all the time. And people are now coming in for just lessons on uh, meals I don't train, just, you know, just coming for lessons. And then it turns in, hey, I got some friends. You do group lessons? I mean, I got to talk to more than one person at a time? No. <laughs> they say, oh, come on, you'll be fine. Okay. You know, and um, anyways, little by little, uh, it kind of blossomed. And, you know, then I get invited to do these clinics and, you know, and it just kind of grown from there. And my wife is really good at social media, kind of like you're, you're Natalie. She's, you know, and you know, so if you see stuff on social media, it, ain't, it usually is not me, unless it's on Instagram, that's me, but the rest <laughs> of it's sky, you know, yeah. and uh, she was good at it. So she'd post about these little group lessons. And before you know it, we're getting invited. My first clinic I ever did out of state was Gunnison, Colorado. And I go out there and and then, of course, Sky posts about that. And we get invited to Washington. And next thing you know, and here we are, fast forward today. Now I'm nine months on the road. And, and uh, you know, I've been doing clinics, uh, you know, officially nine years going down the road. So it's wow. been a journey. It's been a good time. That is, uh, that's so cool the way it kind of developed that way. And, and um, I'm right there with you, you know, being, you know, thinking, you know, kind of reserved or, or, public speaking, you know, being number one fear of, of most people and, and, you know, how you end up doing this and then almost actually enjoying it. You know, it's like, wow, I never saw Mm -hmm. this coming. You know, I, I can totally get that. So nine months of the year on the road, I can relate to that. Um, I'm probably not quite that much. New Zealand's a little smaller uh, but yeah. we, of course, normally we do travel back to the States. And so we are, we travel a lot. We're on the road and, and, and my family travels with me a lot as well. How have you managed this? This might be an interesting question. Like how have you managed the logistics of having a family on the road and the kids and, you know, what they're doing while you're teaching and, and all of that sort of a thing. How, how has that sort of developed, uh, for you guys? Well, you know, I mentioned my wife's guy. And I, I mean, I could not do this without her. She is the backbone, the family backbone right there for sure. But the logistics actually came easy to me, you know, in high school, college, and a little bit in PRCA, I rodeoed. And so, you know, when you're rodeoing, I, and I rode saddle bronc courses, I mean, I'd go to rodeo every night. And one night I'd be up in Nampa, Idaho. And, and uh, you know, here in, in the States it's the, or, or in Utah, you probably remember it's the 24th run. Uh, 24th of July in Utah is probably more important than the 4th of July. <laughs> so there's, there's rodeos everywhere. So like today I'd be in, you know, Spanish Fork, Utah, then tomorrow in Nampa, Idaho, and then, you know, over in Colorado somewhere and then, you know, bouncing around everywhere. Yeah. And um, so day by day, I mean, I, that's how I learned how to plan and how to figure out, uh, you know, where I'm going, what I'm going to do, what's it going to cost me in fuel. Um, in college, I rodeoed for an amazing man named Louis Fields. You know, who Louis Fields is. No, Casey Fields' dad. Oh yeah. Casey? Okay. Yeah, his dad. So I rodeo with Casey. I'm the same age as Casey, and we rodeoed together. And his dad was an incredible mentor to me. 
And in fact, I've, I've learned a lot about horsemanship from, from Louis Fields too. Uh, and we can get into that later if you'd like, but um, you know, he taught, he taught us how to travel and, you know, rodeoing is a lot more than just the actual event. It's that you, know, you make it or break it in your traveling and in your logistics. And so I learned a lot about that, but fast forwarding it to the life of the clinics. And now, I mean, instead of driving somewhere every day in a car, I'm driving once a week in my semi and my trailer uh, with a family in tow and a dog and, you know, four or five mules. And I mean, shoot, you know, and uh, you know, listening to, I don't know, uh, Moana on the DVD player, you know, <laughs> that's, that's my life, you know, going down the road, listening to the Pocahontas soundtrack. Right. And so, uh, you know, two little girls and, um, but, you know, I try to plan it so that we can drive a day every week. And I like to do the clinics where I can bounce one day. So, um, you know, typically we'll drive eight to 12 hours in a day and, and then, I mean, I can give you my week schedule. You want a typical week schedule? Yeah, life yeah. Of, run, life us, of run, us, run us through that. You bet. Yeah. So this is my life pretty much. Okay. So Monday is our typical driving days. I try to schedule Monday drives. And, you know, like I said, I like to drive one day a week. And, and if I can uh, get to the spot. So we'll drive Monday. Tuesday, we show up and and we got to go to the grocery store, feed store, laundromat, you know, and and do all that. Wednesday is typically folks are starting to arrive for the clinic because my clinics are Thursday through Saturday. So folks are showing up Wednesday and I like to be there, greet them and, you know, hello. We have meet and greets on Wednesday and whatnot. And, and then it's a day for me just to kind of ride my own animals and kind of just have that time on my own. And my girls ride, we haul their mules too, and they ride. And so that's a little bit of family day. And then, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is a clinic and they're full days. You know, I mean, you know how it is. You just early in the morning, setting sound up and making sure the arena's rocking and rolling and, uh, you know, everything's good to go. And then, you know, it's, it's dawn to dark. Um, and then Sundays, we like to uh, find a church somewhere around uh, if we can. Uh, yeah. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So we try to find a church somewhere. And they're everywhere. You're in New yeah. Zealand. They're everywhere there. Yep. And uh, anyway, so we go to church and it's Sunday's a family day. Try to rest and just be a family. Maybe go for a hike or something. You know, I don't know. Yeah. And then Monday back in the truck, bright and early. I like to leave early. Yeah. Like I leave at like 3 a.m. So that <laughs> because you, you know how it is with kids. I mean, they'll sleep. So I, if I can load up at 3 a.m., that is probably a solid four hours of complete quiet. <laughs> So I could, you know, head on down the road and they're quiet. And of course my wife, she enjoys, she likes to sleep too, because we got a good deal. I drive, she takes care of the kids and uh, she has to see the chiropractor monthly because of a crook in her neck from leaning back to <laughs> give the kids snacks. So yeah. Yeah. that's our life. That's the reality of a clinician with a family right there. You know, it's yeah. not all, it's not all, uh, you know, uppity. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty basic and utilitarian. Sometimes yep. we survive. <laughs> yeah. Just making it work. We've yep. down here, uh, you know, we've been on the hunt for a, a proper gooseneck trailer, you know, with living accommodation and stuff to, to do just that for many years. And long story short, we've, we've talked to engineers, we've looked at importing one from the States cause they're so much more affordable over there. And you just oh, end yeah. up with, uh, compliance issues and a lot of red tape to to mm -hmm. get through on that and 
we have finally, we're just in the process of getting the hitch engineered on our, our little semi to, uh, to get that going. But we've been, you know, staying with host families, staying in Airbnbs or, or hotels, you know, at different times. And then if I'm by myself, you know, sometimes I'm just camping out. Like it's, it's yep. just whatever, whatever has worked. So. Yep. Good old range teepee, huh? Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. You bet. It's been yeah. pretty basic and pretty, uh, just whatever will work for, for a long, long time now. So we've been here in New Zealand for 10 years. So I'm, I, uh, I'm well and truly ready to kind of try to get that, that whole logistical deal a little bit better. Yeah. Well, it, it's sure nice when you get things rocking because it's been a journey for us. You know, you start and, you know, I had this, when I started, I had a 1994 Ford 250 and it was when those, uh, 460 engines and it just guzzled gas. And I, I mean, I couldn't get anywhere. It just, you know, so expensive really. And, and, uh, just old three horse trailer it was rust bucket. And yeah, I just like that. I camp out or something. And then we, we, we got a gooseneck and uh, just a stock trailer with a tack room with a, you know, yeah. bed up on top, you know, and that was, we did that for a while and, you know, and, uh, I'm not a fan of debt, so little by little, save up, move up, save up, move up. And, yeah. uh, you know, but it's important to me that the family can go and those logistics, you know, I, I try to make it priority for my family to be with me. There's sometimes I got to fly out, you know, like I'll, you know, uh, you know, if I get an odd clinic, maybe I, I'm up in Florida in January and I, you know, it costs too much to drive there. So I just fly down there, you know, and girls might stay home and whatever. And, uh, I do that now and again, some of these expos too, you know, when they hire you, they don't want to pay for, you know, for plane tickets. I say, well, my daughter's really like to come. They say, I can give you two. I'm like, mm, let's cut a deal here. You know, but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I got to go to them by myself a lot too. And, um, but I, well, I'm a family man, you know, above all family man. And, and uh, it's important they go with me, um, you know, where else it's just kind of becomes a job if they're not with you sometimes. And, yeah, you know, it's your yeah, fun right. going into, you know, taking a break, you know, having lunch and my girls are homeschooled. And so they're there. I mean, how many dads get to eat lunch with their kids every day, you know, yeah. ride a meal at lunch with your kids. <laughs> it's great. So it is. That's exactly right. Yeah. Our kids are home educated too. And, and it just, it just fits with that sort of lifestyle where we can, head over to the States, you know, when we're, when we're got planned to and, and be over there and just carry on with their schooling. And, and like you say, eating lunch every day, most every day with them, you know, that's, that's irreplaceable. I'm, I'm right there with you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's all sorts of, oh, there's all sorts of fun stories with the kids. You know, they, they, they can, kids and mules will keep you humble, man. <laughs> They'll keep you humble because just when you think you got things going, boy, they, they make sure you, you, you can keep on your toes and, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I bet. That's awesome. Well, um, what would you say one of the challenges is in, in what you do and, and in your experience in working with not just the mules and the horses, but also the people and what, what's sort of been one of the biggest challenges that you found in, in, in that experience to overcome? Challenges. I mean, mostly getting people to slow down. Um, I mean, everybody's in a hurry all the time, you know, and, and, uh, 
I remember talking to my great grandpa before he died. He lived to be 95 and he lived through the depression and all that, you know, and he didn't, he didn't drive a vehicle until he was in the army in world war II, you know, and, and, you know, farmed with mules and horses. He rode his horse to school and, and, you know, and life was just simpler, you know, some of these times and, and, you know, even before that yet, you know, and being a fan of making bridle mules and bridle horses, right. I mean, it's a time taker and people, people want to go so fast. And, you know, when you tell them the process of making a bridle mule, I, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with what you do too. And uh, I mean, you say, Hey, you know, you probably got to ride in a snap a bit for a few years here. And then you, you know, I'm going to go to Hackamore for a year or so, and then a two rain for a year and like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So how old is this mule before you can be in the bridle? Like, six or eight, you know, and what, you know, they want to, they want to bridle me on 30 days, man, you know, and, and it's a time taker and yeah. people don't understand, you know, it's more than just teaching a mechanical move. That's right. You know, it's not just mechanics, you know, building the physical body, building the muscles, you know, building that mental capacity to learn. Uh, I mean, you can't be too hard on these critters. I mean, we have to go to school here in the States for 12 years to get a basic job, right? <laughs> exactly. And geez, you know, don't be so hard on these critters. And so getting them to slow down in the whole process. And then, and, and I'm speaking for myself too, because this has been a struggle even for me is slowing down. You know, w- when you're trying to get the mechanical moves, just back on the mechanics, okay? You know, I'm just trying to get them to turn on the haunches, you know, wait, one step at a time. And then you get excited. Well, you got one step and it came pretty easy. Well, we got to get two. You got hurry. Oh, we got to get three now. You know, no, just reward them for that one good step, you know? Um, and so I think slowing down is probably one of the hardest lessons to teach, at least for me. Um, and maybe it's the, the example that I set, you know, maybe I need to be better, you know, slowing down, but that patience um, and with the mules, especially because, you know, they are such analyzers is to slow down, take it easy, no hurry, you know, and uh, I'm a big fan, you know, you've grown up here, out here, you know, you're not far from the Great Basin either, right? Minana, you know, yeah. you've heard that, Minana, tomorrow. Yeah. There's always tomorrow. You don't have to hurry. You know, you don't have, uh, what's that? There's a song, something about, you know, why put off till tomorrow what can get done today or something. Yeah. We say, well, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's about what it amounts to for sure. Yeah, you know, you don't have to do, you don't have to spin a circle today. How about just a st- just a step? Yeah, you know, and um, teaching people different moves and things. And you know, you're you're a great roper. I've seen a lot of your videos. You know, teach people how to rope. Hey, you don't have to catch 100 percent on day one. You know, we you just got to learn how, how you got to learn how to hold the rope. I I can hold it. Well, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> You know, you got to learn how to hold the rope. Then you got to learn how to pack that rope, how to swing it, you know, how to just, just building a swing. How long does it take to teach people how to build a swing, get that rope swing, you know, when they're on their horse, on their mule, just teach them how to, okay, just tip this, you know, just move that tip back and forth like a clock, you know, and and then start swinging, you know, and it's just that time. I think that's probably the most challenging thing is time and patience. Reckon that you've, yeah, nailed that one pretty good. That's a big challenge, I think, for for a lot of us. I mean, the society we live in is uh, fast paced, and and um, like you're saying, your great grandfather farming with mules and horses, and uh, 
everything just moved at a slower pace. And it's, it's so easy for even like you say, even as, as folks that live a little bit more rurally and a little more simpler life than maybe some of our, our city cousins, we've, we've still got this expectation of, you know, quick. And it's just that instant gratification, I guess, that's become just the norm for our society. Um, You know, you, you, you get an email from somebody and if you haven't answered and in 24 hours, they're, they're either on down the road or, or they're, messaging you on Facebook and asking if you got your, their email, you know, and it's oh, like, so it's not just me, huh? No. <laughs> and we're good. You know, we're pretty yeah. good at that stuff. We're on yeah. to that stuff pretty much every day. And, and, um, and it isn't very often they got to wait longer than 24 hours, but man, mm-hmm. heaven help us if they do, you know, <laughs> you yeah. um, no, that's, that is interesting. And, and of course, horses have a completely different concept of time than humans anyway. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's amazing too. You know, when people learn that, you know, that, Hey, they're, they're not, you know, we're, you know, we live in the future or in the past. It seems like humans have a hard time being in the present, Yeah, you know, but the horse, the mule, that's, that's their life. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite, uh, talks about time is when it comes to bits, you know, I mean, how many times have you've heard this a million times? I guarantee it, but Hey, I tried that bit on my, my horse. They didn't like it. You say, well, how long did you, let them carry that bit oh, like five minutes, but they, they worked their mouth the whole time. Like five minutes. And, like, and I tell them, you know, think about making a bridle horse, you know, in the two rain stage, like I put my, I put, I use a half breed bridle bit. That's my favorite spade, same thing. But, you know, I put that bridle bit on in that two rain and I don't even touch it for four months. I just use my hackamore ring for four months. And they're like, what what like, yeah I, I just let them pack it. they got to learn how to carry that thing that's right. and then even before i start colts you know i let them carry that snaffle yeah. I, I probably put my snaffle bit on if, if it's my colt that i have the time to do this with i'll probably let them carry that snaffle bit a month before i even even touch the snaffle bit and they're going to be sharp with the halter and i'll still yet ride the first ride or two with a halter yeah where i even touch that snaffle bit and you know there's some folks you put that bit on and if that horse or that mule is working their mouth boy you know back to the tax store it is more money spent so it's it is something yeah yeah it is a challenge i think for folks and and something you're saying you know like giving that example of getting that horse to or mule to turn you know and just set them up let them find it they start to shift their weight i mean it's those small little changes you never miss a good opportunity to give them a release and give them a break and help them help them realize there's always something in it for them. And, and it's those little pieces that anything else is made up of, you know, that's what oh, we yeah. really got to realize. Yeah. One piece at a time. Reward yeah. every try. Yep. Yeah. So what do you do to make sure you sort of keep, keep yourself learning and advancing and, and uh, sort of on top of your game? Do you have, um, you know, do you go, go to clinics still, or do you enjoy reading or what, what are your resources there? Yeah. You know, I, uh, any chance I get, like I try to go to one of Buck's clinics once a year if I can. And it's as my schedule permits. And it seems like it's getting harder and harder to dedicate a weekend like that to, to go on. But we, I try, I try, you know, um, and anytime education pops up that I can, that I can, I mean, partake of i'll do it you know um you know martin black 
you know, and him and Steven Peters, they've been doing these yeah. virtual online clinics and I've been, I've been on every one of them, you know, and uh, sometimes it's, you know, the same stuff I've heard time or two before, but you know, just, if I can just get one piece, yeah. you know, I'll take it. Uh, I like to read, you know, um, I've probably read think harmony with horses, you know, by Ray Hunt. I mean, I probably read that five times, yeah. you know, and, uh, um, but really, you know, uh, it's kind of, sounds kind of cliche, but still the mules are the best teacher. The horses are the best teacher. And, you know, I like to stay sharp. And so we, uh, I don't raise my own mules. You know, I just don't have the time to take care of mares and jacks and things, but we buy weanlings every year, usually buy one or two weanlings a year. And, you know, we're raising them up and I start them as, as three-year-olds or two and a half to three-year-olds, four-year-olds right in there. And, and, um, you know, and a lot of people think, well, geez, I bet your colts are perfect because you raised them. No, they're, they're some of them are wild little turds, you know? I mean, <laughs> they just, I mean, I'm, I'm gone nine months a year, right? They're just, lot, yeah. they just, they're just mules. They're just mules out there in that pasture and, you know, and, and, uh, and they test me, you know, some of them are pretty easy and I, I'm getting better about selecting the breeding and the bloodlines and whatnot. And I mean, you know, I started a cult this year that, you know, the cults that make you feel like, you know, everything, they just make you feel like you're good at it. You know, she was one of them. Yeah. I mean, if you look bad riding that mule, I mean, you just should be riding a four you know, because she was so easy on the same, the same, you know, on the other side of things, I started a cousin to this mule different, you know, the jacks were brothers and different mares, but, um, she is probably one of the most challenging mules I've ever worked with because she's very unique. She's, she's extremely friendly. You can walk out in that pen and she's right there and you can pet her and pick up her feet. And I mean, she just loves you easy to catch, but boy, she's a bronc and just a handful, you know? And, um, I was telling sky this the other day, I'm like, you know what, if all I did was started Colts, like the first one I mentioned, I mean, I wouldn't be any better, but this one here, she's going to make me better because if I don't get better, I ain't going to make it with her. You know, <laughs> she's going to leave me when I go move those cows tomorrow, she's going to leave me on the mountain, you know? <laughs> and, um, I, I got to figure stuff out, you know, and, and, uh, even with all the experiences I have, I mean, she's still, I'm tested, right. I got to figure it out, you know, but, um, so, so the mules for sure, you know, and then every clinic, I mean, it's, it's like my own classroom of, of, experiments because yeah. I mean, you know, you know, each clinic, I usually have 20 or 30 total animals. We do multiple classes. Like I'll have a groundwork class and a, and a riding class. Um, but I'll have, you know, 20, 30, sometimes 40 animals throughout the day. And you can't help but learn if you're not learning in that environment, you ain't paying attention, you know? And so, yeah. uh, every one of them is different. And, you know, sometimes it feels like the same. Sometimes the clinics feel like they're, you know, you're repeating what happened last week, but every now and again, something will show up and it'll, it'll make you pay attention. And, and I'm really honest with, with the participants, you know, I say, you know what, if, I'll tell you if I know, I'll tell you if I don't know. And some people will ask questions and have issues. And I say, I don't know, but let's figure it out. <laughs> you know, and we just start in on it and, and, uh, you know, you know, all about the adage of observe, remember, and compare. Yep. And, um, if I write it down, I can remember it pretty good. And I keep journals. Um, my journals are full of just chicken scratch of notes and quotes and thoughts and experiences and whatever. And I just write it down and then I review it and, you know, uh, 
And, and then of course, you know, with education, you know, I follow you on, you know, Instagram and whatnot. And, and uh, there's a few others out there that I enjoy keeping track of. I mentioned Martin Black, and Stephen Peters, and, you know, a work always has something good to put out there. I like following Warwick Schiller. He's a great man. And, and uh, always has interesting thoughts. He makes you just sit back and think, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, he goes deeper than, than just, just a buckaroo like me. So it's fun to, it's fun to, to, to hear that and, and kind of get the juices flowing in your mind and, yeah. you know, any, anywhere I can, I can get knowledge, you know, um, that's right. You can learn something from everybody and uh, you know, it, it may be something that you don't want to do. It may be something that you just hope you always remember. Um, for me too, a lot of education comes from, uh, for, for me, faith in God and, you know, uh, you know, you're a religious man, so I can share it here on your podcast for sure. I know, yeah. you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, Jesus has got to be a good horseman, <laughs> you know, Christ yeah. has got to be a fantastic horseman. I, and I can't imagine we get there to heaven and he's got flags and spurs and you know what I mean? And, and, and all these things that I got to use, you know, I can't get something done without some of these pieces, a halter and lead rope, but how is he doing it? You know, yeah. how's he going to get along? And that provokes me every day. Like, okay, all right. You know, how, how, how would this go? And, and so, and there's a lot of good lessons there, you know, with, absolutely, yeah, you know, with trying to be like him uh, above all, you know, trying to be Christ-like, I reckon he's got a lot of the, well, he's got all of the best qualities of a good horseman, you know, patient, yeah. consistent, kind, but firm, you know, um, aware, empathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he rode that donkey colt into Jerusalem when he was the first one to have sat on it. And that's so right. He's got a, he's, he's pretty handy, I think. You bet. So, yeah, we can always learn something and, you know, you never know where you're going to get some information. That's right. I mean, anymore today, of course, the information, it's information overload. If you, if you want to get on YouTube or, you know, look up something online, boy, it's, it's sometimes hard to wade through it. But, you know, I think like you say, when you've refined it down to those sources, you know, that you, you want to emulate or you want to learn from, you know, they've, they're, they're folks that have been there and done that, or they're doing things with horses that, that stacks up with what you'd like to do or what you like to see and, and, and what it's, what it's really all about when it comes to understanding these animals, mules and horses and, and zebras, um, <laughs> then, you know, those out yet. you just, you can just lock on and, and, and it's just there, you know, and it gets you thinking, you know, iron sharpens iron. And so it gets you, you know, thinking outside your own little box or your own little deal. I, I too have learned more from the horses, um, and spent years, you know, just, just not just in my own little world, but you know, so much, it takes a long time, but there's some lessons there that you're not going to learn any other way. Oh yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a way to fast track that if you really find the right mentors and you get around the right people and stuff, but there still is, is no, uh, replacement for those lessons that those animals can teach you right in the moment. And if, if you're aware and you're listening, uh, those are, those are some pretty key lessons. Would you say there's, uh, one animal, one mule or horse that you could pick out in your experience that just really stands out in your memory as having, um, shaped up some of those lessons for you? 
Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's one, um, you know, when you sent these questions over, I read that question. I thought, man, I don't know. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot that mean a lot to me. And there's a lot that I learned a lot. There's a lot that I maybe want to forget a little bit <laughs> and everything in between. Um, but you know, there's one meal, his name was bud and he's still around. He's still alive, but bud is, you know, we got bud, uh, this meal when he was just a weanling and these folks for raising this mule they had weaned it and they let it in their house okay so you can imagine this house this was a little rough okay but they're they're treating this mule like a dog all right and and he acted about like a dog and um you know very uh you know you know the word manners was was not in the vocabulary of this mule uh just a very you know pushy critter um he just didn't know when he did. I mean, can't blame the, the guy. I mean, he didn't know. Um, anyways, we took, we bought this meal. My dad bought this meal and we, uh, you know, raised it up and started it. And, and, um, he was a little bit of a handful to start, as you can imagine, uh, not bronchy, but just, just, I mean, you know, he just soon run you over as he would, you know, go around you. And, um, so, and, and at this time I didn't know a lot about, the groundwork, uh, this meal kind of came into play. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I knew a little bit about groundwork, I should say, but not, not to the level I do now. Now this meal wouldn't even phase me. It wouldn't be a big deal, but it, then it did anyways, but we got the meal started and, and he was a great mule and he was only 14 hands, just a short little guy, but tough as nails. And, um, I got hired to help a fella put cows on the mountain and, Boy, it was a big day. We saddled up at 4.30 a.m., oh, you know, unloaded the, the cows, you know, opened the gate, headed up the mountain. And, boy, we didn't get done until about 9.30 at night. A big day, big day, entire day. And I noticed everybody else coming. They had a, they had a, a string of horses, and they would swap out horses every few hours. And I just kept riding this mule. And, you know, each of those guys, most of the hands on that deal that day brought two or two, most of them brought two, but some brought three horses. And I just had one mule. I didn't get that memo, you know, like, well, I'll just ride my mule. And I did. And that guy was just tough as nails and just all day long moving cows. And, you know, you've been around it. Those calves get tired. You know, that's a big day. Uh, You know, probably three quarters of the day is spent, you know, putting the cows on the mountain. And then of course, then you boogie it back pretty good. Um, but you know, those calves get tired and then, you know, those moms get tired and they're busting off into the canyons. You got, of course, who do they send the guy with the mule, right? The guy with the mule has got to go down in those canyons and, and bring back the cows. Right. And so I dive it down and dive up and, you know, they go in the brush and anyways, and of course it's a short mule. So hey, you're going to brush Ty. Um, anyways, long story short, tough as nails. Yeah. And he really impressed me that, that day, that day it changed my relationship with that mule and I had that mule for a long time. And, um, you know, when I'd rope, you know, I'd go to brandings and stuff and I'd rope and, and, uh, they like to save the big calves for me and the mule, right. Make the mule work. And so I'd, you know, you've been to brandings like that, you know, the, the big soggy calves, you know, and, yeah. and I remember I, I went to one branding and the big calves, big, heavy calves. And I, and it, and he, and he's using, Nord forks. You're familiar, you're familiar with them. And yeah. you know, uh, 
Maybe explain a little bit just for our yeah. listeners, just to explain yeah. what a Nord Fork is. Basically, a Nord Fork is you, you heal the calves only. You just, you're just roping the heels and you need to catch two, both heels, you know, um, and then you drag them over. These Nord Forks, forks basically go around their neck, um, kind of like if, if somebody had headed uh, the calf and was holding them there. So this is something they do when there's not enough ropers to head and heel which is the case of a lot of these small brandings in Utah. You can't get enough ropers to do a head and heel. And so they just heal and go to the North Forks. And anyways, so we're doing that. And, and this little mule pulling these big calves. And I got a picture, and one of my favorite pictures of this mule just leaning back on his hawks, just trying to hold this big calf down, <laughs> you know, that's fighting him. And, but he taught me a lot. He had a lot of heart. And it taught me, and I'm a, I'm a small fella too. I mean, I'm only five, seven and, kind of just a little dude, you know, and anyways, and that meal had a lot of heart. He put everything into it. And, you know, that's how I want to be. You know, when people come to my clinics or they come to get help, I'm going to put everything into it. I want to put my whole heart into it and work hard and uh, try to give them the best that I can, I can give them every time. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, that's small, awesome. tough meals. Yeah. That's awesome. And it is so true. I mean, I guess there's a lot of sayings or, or quotes that might come to mind or, or situations. Um, you know, it's not the size of the size of the dog or something like that, you know, not size of the dog in the fight. Yeah. Size of the fight and the dog. Yeah. Oh, something like yeah. That. And it's sometimes those little critters or, you know, they, I guess I've, another one I've heard is, you know, dynamite comes in small packages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And yeah, yeah. I, I I remember a mare I rode in Wyoming when we worked up there. Little Arab cross, you know, short, stubby, round-barreled little mare. Man, she was a firecracker, and you could not ride her into the ground. She mm -hmm. just she just had a big heart. She loved to go, and I honestly think she would have gone until she absolutely dropped if you if you had to if you were doing it. She just was going to do it. Yeah. It was. Uh, it's an interesting one. Now that's cool. That's very cool. So what, uh, where, where do you see this going? What, I guess one question I always like to ask on my podcast is what's, what legacy are you working on? What, what, how would you like to be remembered? What are, what, what's the long-term goal here? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting one. Mostly what comes to mind is that, you know, I want to be known as a, as a good man, a good human being, a good father and husband above all, you know, a good Christian. Um, as far as the, the mule stuff goes, I'd like to be known as somebody that, that, uh, that humbly helps people. You know, um, my clinics are not big shows. It's not show up and see what Ty can do. Yeah. It's how can I, how can I serve you? And, and, um, and one thing I tell all the people in my clinics when I begin, I say, you know, you're here and this is a group. And sometimes it could be five, 10, maybe 15 people in a group. But I say, I am sincerely here to help every one of you. And when you guys leave here, I want you to feel like that I showed up to town just for you. I want you to feel like this clinic was just for you. And I, and I, it, that doesn't always happen. I know it doesn't happen, but I'm trying my best so that they feel like, hey, you know what? Ty was sincerely helping me. And, um, yeah, you know, that's kind of what I, what I try to do every clinic. And I hope someday when I'm 
old and, you know, just my rope drags a little lower, you know, and I'm, <laughs> my hat doesn't quite fit me. You know, but that's what people remember me by that. Hey, you know what, that guy, that guy really served, you know, yeah. service above all. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to leave a legacy when my kids are proud to, to talk about me, you know, not, not embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I think people, you know, are absolutely the, the lasting legacy of, of what you and I do in, in encountering and, and working with horse people and mule people and, and um, helping them become better, not just for their horses or mules, but for themselves and, and their relationships and their families and, and hopefully even eternity, you know, that we could be an impact yep. and, and make a difference for, for them. And I think you're absolutely right, a heart of service and, and sincere humility to meet them where they're at and help them the best we can with what they're facing is, is a great uh, connection point, you know, with a common passion there. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Well, Ty, I think that you and I could probably visit um, another whole hour or the rest of the day and, and well into the night here and, and uh, it'd sure be awesome to meet up with you again sometime, maybe in the States, or uh, if you ever uh, get back down to Australia again and want to want to swing by New Zealand, you're more than welcome at, uh, at my fire. But go ahead and tell some folks, uh, tell everybody where they can find out more about you and, and uh, your social media handles and, and website and whatnot. And uh, so they can they can track you down if they want to follow what you're up to. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Ben. I appreciate the invite to the campfire too. I might take you up on that, but yeah, uh, our website is the main gig. You know, it's tsmules.com. Uh, T is in tie, S is in sky, mules, just like the word sounds.com. And uh, there, that's where we have our online video library and you can see our, our tour stops, our clinic schedule and all that. And uh, uh, ask questions on there. I got a little contact form. People can ask questions or whatever. And then um, find us on Facebook, TS Mules. Just type that in. You find us there. And, and Instagram is also TS Mules. So Perfect. I tried the TikTok thing like you have. And, and uh, that's an awful distracting social media. So I haven't yeah. dwelt too much in the TikTok world. I, I'll leave that to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a no. scary app, I'll tell you. I know, but, <laughs> but anyways, I, so we got those and, uh, we got a, a, a weekly or sometimes a bi-weekly newsletter we send out and that's on our website too. And, you know, we, we try to be out there and available for folks. So, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again, man, for, for taking the time. I really appreciate it and, uh, hope you have a, a great evening and hope to catch you down the road sometime. Yes, sir. Thanks, Ben. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.